Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. I'm in seminary, no big deal. I bring it up every week as a humble break. Um, but as you've probably guessed, if you've been listening um, uh, here or you've been watching or you're listening to this on the podcast, um, you probably have heard me bring up different religions because I'm in a world religions class. So whatever I'm reading, I'm like, this is fascinating. And then it comes out. And um, I get to do a group project because everyone loves group projects. Everyone is big fans. And my group project is uh, we have five of us have to um, – uh, participate in some sort of worship service in a faith tradition outside of our own, and uh, we chose um, Judaism. And Judaism is absolutely fascinating, especially to, for me, Reform Judaism is um, incredibly inspiring. And since I have the gift of gab, I uh, signed up to do the interview with the rabbi. And so uh, I called him up, and I got really, um, what's the right word? Insecure. <laughs> I got really nervous, because I always, like, I always think, who lets me talk to other professionals? Like, who let me <laughs> who let me out of the room? They're like, hey, you should go talk to people. And I'm like, so then I'm, I was thinking of, you guys know Kristen Tippett from On Being, a podcast? It's wonderful. But she interviews people, and she, like, has a really gentle voice. And, and I was, like, practicing. I was practicing my questions to the rabbi, <laughs> like, using my, my special voice, quiet voice. And uh, she always says, what are your spiritual formations that formed who you are? And... And so I started, I'm like, uh, we did some small talk. And I'm like, well, it changed my voice. I'm like, yeah, that's really great. So, Rabbi, tell me about your spiritual formations. <laughs> um, and he starts with, uh, he goes, yeah, my, my parents lived in Europe. And they um, moved over to um, the United States before the, um, the immigration got, um, uh, what do you call it, stopped because of World War II. And you know, the Holocaust was happening. And... Uh, they knew that they had to leave, and so they came to the middle of Michigan, to a small town, nowhere town, no temple, no congregation, nothing. Um, and they did that intentionally because there was a possibility the Third Reich would win, um, and then would just go to a country, a region, region, and continue um, uh, murdering and, and uh, executing Jewish people. And so they had to escape, right? They had to escape, leave their land, leave their story, their legacy, their culture, everything, and go to the middle of nowhere intentionally because they wanted to um, almost be forgotten. Did not want to be on any list that would, that would identify them as being Jewish. They, want, they wanted to be just like forgot. That was their goal. And then he went into like his story of how he got into seminary and I'm still like, whoa. <laughs> All right, I'm going from Kristen Tippett little voice to this like mind blowing story of they had to up and leave and intentionally move to a place of where they could be essentially forgotten. And all that they had to give for that. And then he's like, yeah, and you know, my mom, when she was a little girl, there was this Christian family that um, let them live in their attic for six months to hide because they were going around and slaughtering Jewish people. He just, he just like threw it in there and then moved on to something else. And I'm like, okay. And then I asked him about interreligious or interfaith work. It was really important to him. And um, 
how he would connect with um, other mosques and how he'd connect with uh, Baha'i or Hindu people. And I said, well, you know, what, what is the value behind that? And he said, well, you know, Chris, I think what real allyship work is, um, is that we go to other groups that are also marginalized. We also go to other faith communities that could be targeted, right? They could be targeted and they could be excluded. And I think we're better together. And so allyship works. If one of us is hurting, we're all hurting. And then he just like moved on. And I'm like, what? This guy is, it is so inspiring, not just to be a, a professional clergy like myself, I'm in that group, right? But to just as this, as this human, as this man of what he's willing to give. So then I, 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 I was wrapping it up and I could have talked for hours. And I told him it'd be 20 minutes, it was like 45 minutes. Um, and I just said, you know, Rabbi, it sounds like from what your parents had to give up to uh, what your mom had to experience, to you doing this work of this interreligious work as a way of being an ally, but also as a way of surviving. How has that shaped you and how you show up in this world? And I thought it was a brilliant question. I'm like, this is a great question. Um, and then he got really quiet and he goes, Chris, it shapes everything in who we are as Jewish people. We've always been in exile. We've always been this, this, this threat of our existence, this idea of that we could be alone, but yet we move on. That they believe that there's still going to be this restoration, there's going to be this flourishing, there's going to be this, this peace, right? So even the song that Sarah was singing, this, this idea that peace will move us on, this is what they live for, this is what they hope for. And how do you move towards that? Willing to give. Because at any point, right, I know me and I know a lot of people of what in just, just this one rabbi's story of, and even the intersectionality of in Reformed um, Judaism that he's also gay and he's married to another man. He has all this intersectionality <laughs> of where he could have just been like, hey, yeah, it was a good run. <laughs> it was a good run. I think, I'm, I think I'm done. I think I'm willing just to like ride this out and be focused solely on himself. But he, he, his family kept showing up. Because they gave everything. And not just to survive as a family, but what he said is uh, to survive of this beautiful gift of Judaism to the world. That we have to be thinking, how do we pass this on to the next generation? And it might be hiding. Like, as a Christian, um, and even as a white man, I never have to think about that. I can show up anywhere and be believed. Right? Christianity's kind of got the market right now. <laughs> anywhere you go, you don't have to like hide being a Christian. We don't get persecuted. You, you know, some people believe, like, you know, put the Christ back in Christmas. You, know, you say, like, happy holidays. They're being persecuted. It's not, not true. But um, uh, the, what he was willing to give inspired me. It made me think. We're in our series called, um, I don't remember. Oh, Awaking to Happiness. Awaking, Awakening. Awakening to Happiness. And happiness is important. But happiness has to be something more than waking up in your Smiley. Happiness has to be something more than giggling with your friends. Happiness has to be something more than just a really good vacation. Happiness has to transcend to, to this place of where whatever external realities that still can't touch this internal truth, right? That we can find fulfillment and we can find contentment. And this is the life, I, I, I don't think I'm alone, that's the kind of life I want. External things cannot move internal things. But how do we get it exactly? That's the life's work. And last week we talked on um, gratefulness and being thankful and how that is a way of grounding ourselves. As we see other things in this world, other things that are happening, we think, well, I I'm not good enough until I have that. Thankfulness pauses us, grounds us in that breath and saying, in this space, I'm enough. In this space, I'm good. 
So today, I'm talking about generosity. Because the, what the rabbi inspired me was, I, I want to get to this place of where I'm willing to give, period. Because usually when we think about generosity, it, A, when the pastor's talking about generosity, it's usually like, hey, you guys should all give more money, right? And happen to be, we unapologetically invite you to give, but that's not what I'm talking about. Usually we think about generosity of, of where we stop with it is um, whatever I have left, right? In my excess, I will give. So I only have um, this many hours, I only have this much energy, I only have this much money, I only have this much of effort to give to my leadership or my art or my music. Music is art, they're both the same, sorry. I keep pointing at you. <laughs> um, and then we, then we calculate, right, of okay, I'm willing to give this to my son's football team, right? Because after that, I just don't have enough energy. I'm willing to give this much money because we didn't spend as, we, as much as we thought, so I'll give this. This is called being wise, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying like, like, just be irresponsible. But if that's where we end generosity is in just our excess, then we're missing the plot. Then we're missing on this, this invitation we see from uh, the kingdom of God of what it looks like to truly be free. And it's when we're willing to give, period. And this is littered all throughout the life of Christ. All throughout the life of Christ. In all his parables, Jesus is talking about uh, the Good Samaritan, right? The guy, remember that one? The guy gets beat up, left for dead. And the very people that were inspiring to him, the very people that were a part of his circles that added value, they leave that man beside because it cost them too much. Too much time, too much work, all the effort they'd have to do in order to be, uh, to be able to show up in their job, they're like, not for me, too costly. And the very person that that group of people would have looked and made racist jokes about, right? The very people that we, they'd look down upon and saying those are the others, it's that person who shows up and gives his time, his empathy, his money, right, and his love. And there's this whole story of what are you willing to give? The, the story of the prodigal son, of the dad should have, was insulted and should have left the kid for dead, and yet he treats him like he's royalty. The man who um, learns that there's this treasure in the mi middle of the field and he sells everything just to have access to that treasure. There is this radical generosity. And it's also embodied in the, per the person of Jesus. Like one of the things that I, I love of, about, uh, about the Christ is thinking about how offensively available he was. Right? When we think about like big important people, when we think of people who, are, who like, you know, like dominate culture, they're, they're not available. And we even, like, we even convince ourselves. We believe that story of saying, well, I can't bother big uppity up, right? They're probably really busy. They're like, they don't want to hear from people like me. Jesus is radically available, moving through crowds, um, moving through crowded streets and people grabbing him, people dropping through the ceiling, right? As he's, as he's going across this, this, um, this lake, there's thousands of people who are trying to move over to the other side to be with him. The, um, not only is he uh, available or accessible, like he, Jesus was willing to give of his time and his energy. He'd go from table to table, party to party. And then we see in Matthew 16, Jesus is about to go through the passion, right? This is where the temple guards are going to come, and that's when Peter grabs a sword and cuts the ear off. He's like, for king and country. I, I doubt he said that. That kind of makes sense. <laughs> and um, king and country, that's like a band, isn't it? No? Okay. So, you don't want me to mention them? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Um, what am I talking about? Oh, passion, right? So, um, right before this happens, Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, hey, remember when I've told you a bunch of times that, like, I'm going to die? Remember that? And they're like, no, we don't remember any of that Jesus. But, and then 
Peter says like, never for king and country. <laughs> He's like, I'll never allow it. And Jesus says, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to happen, right? And he says, uh, get behind me, Satan, right? And there's this whole theological concept on that. But then Jesus says this line, and he says it, different translations highlight different things. But Jesus essentially says this. He says, all right, this is what's going to happen. Anyone who holds on to their life, they're going to lose it. Anyone who centers their ego, anyone who centers their pleasure, anyone who centers their life's work on themselves, they are going to be highly celebrated in culture. They are going to be sought after to speak at conferences. They are going to be on a ton of panels and a ton of executive boards because those who center their own stuff get stuff done and they get celebrated because our culture loves that stuff, right? But then he says, but those who lose their life will truly find it. And Jesus has this mystical way of saying, yeah, yeah, you've held on to this truth for like ever. And he goes, wasn't it good? Wasn't it wonderful that we, we did that? He goes, and then there's this way of thinking, but actually uh, I'm here to say, and let's transcend that reality, <laughs> right? There's this whole new way of thinking. Jesus takes these concepts that we celebrate, that we find value in life in, and he flips them upside down. Of saying, those who pick up their cross, they'll find a, like, this good and beautiful life is when you lose it, right? And this is exemplified in the cross, Right? Protestantism cross is empty because we, like um, we like to think of that the cross is empty, that Christ is resurrected. In Catholicism, for a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons that um, in Catholicism there's always Christ on the, on the cross, right? almost dead or almost dead, is a way to remind us, or I shouldn't say us, I'm not Catholic, to remind Catholics of that there was a body, there was a price, there was murder, there was pain. The empire, the state, killed Jesus. And there's something about that love. There's something about that generosity. There's something inspiring about who Jesus is. Because why did Jesus have to die? Okay? This is like a classic theological question people have been debating forever. Why did Jesus have to die? And even, did Jesus even know that he was going to die? Clearly he did. Right? Because he talks about it over and over and over again. But was that some like Revelation from God that he knew that he had to atone for all the sins for all humanity. Yeah, right? Like, I'm not going to limit it to just that, though. Jesus died way more than just for some atonement. Jesus died because he was generous. Jesus was executed by the state because he kept reminding them, the system you have in place is violent. The way that you set up who's in and who's out has been violent to people for generations and generations, and we're not going to stand for it anymore. Jesus was willing to speak to power. Jesus was willing to show up to power. I mean, think about where Jesus was born, right? He's born to this, car uh, this carpenter, born to this unwed couple, right? All this intersection intersectionality. And um, they were probably not wealthy. Jesus was probably hanging out with a lot of down and outers, a lot of poor people, a lot of hungry people. Jesus would have known what, uh, what happens when a woman, uh, this man falls in love with this woman, marries her, and a drop of a hat when he's done with her, discards her. He probably got to see how that brought violence to that woman's life and legacy. Jesus was those who were part of um, the leper community and how they were seen and how they were treated. Jesus probably saw outsiders coming in and how they were um, discussed and how they were um, talked to. 
right? Jesus was with these people, not just all of a sudden he's like 30, and he's like, well, I better start hanging out with poor people, right? This, is, this was the people that Jesus found inspiration in. This is the, the people that Jesus learned what it means to celebrate, what it means to, to worship, what it means to find a sense of belonging. He saw it firsthand. So when he steps into this role as, as a rabbi, right, as Jesus stepping this way of teaching, what is he teaching? He says, the least, the least and last shall be first. That the kingdom of God is with those who are hungry. The kingdom of God with those who are crying themselves to sleep. The kingdom of God is for those who, who, who are meek. The, the, the kingdom of God is, are for those who have a quiet voice, right? Jesus is exposing what it really means to be human. And not just what it really means to be human, what is it that we really want? What is it that we're really, really actually looking for? And he exposes the system. And he knows it's going to get him killed. Jesus wasn't the first person to try bringing out a revolution. And what happened every time? Execution. Murder. Why? Because that's what power does. It's what empire does. They, they want to keep power. And when a group of people have power, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. It's very costly, and people don't like giving up power. And there's multiple times that Jesus could have stepped out from that execution. There's multiple times uh, that they're like, D you know you're going to die. Is that what you want? And Jesus doesn't say yes or no. He says, who do you say that I am? He willingly goes to this cross. Why? Because on this cross, he's saying, the empire has its way of being, and I'm here to show you what love looks like. I'm here to show you what love does, and it gives always. Jesus shows that in losing his life, there's resurrection. He's showing all this external reality, all these things that you set up as being beautiful, as important, they still can't transcend what love does. Because what happens? Jesus, John says Jesus is now in this temple, not this temple, he's in this garden. And it's on the first day of, of a new day, of a new week with this new sun. They go over the top of there's this new beginning, there's this new reality. And it's found in what? In resurrection. And resurrection says this is what love looks like. That there can be new life. There can be restoration. It demands that when you give of yourself, when you generously love like this, what happens? There is healing. There is something new that is happening all around us and in us. It demands and declares that the way you do your job matters. The way that you make a crockpot meal, right, matters, right? It, it, it demands that the way you take care of your baby, it, it really does matter because the way that you give love to that child is you are speaking into this universe. You are demanding in, into this universe that all things be made new. Like the kind of life that we really, really want is found in being like Christ, willing to be generous. This is not some deep secret, <laughs> right? It's like, this is not like, like, this is brand new to us. Oh, maybe if we give, right? Think of some of the most fulfilling moments in your life probably has something to do that you were able to give something to someone else, right? Like bringing life into this world, right? You have to give a little bit of something to have that of willing to give a present to your kids at Christmas. It feels really, really good. Some of the most fulfilling moments in my life has been, ah, oh man, it's, it's so backwards. Some of the most meaningful work I've done has been getting called in the middle of the night in some horrible, incredibly heavy, hellish experience. And it's showing up in there and walking away, right? And then feeling like, oh, I'm very content that I was able to be in that space, that sacred space with people, right? I felt so thankful and alive.
But so it's not new. Like, oh, maybe we should just, you know, give more. Maybe we should be generous. But why don't we do it? Why don't I do it more? Because I hate losing. Hate it. We don't like to lose. Because when you move in the way of Christ, it is exhausting. Right? It, it's really easy when we just give out of our excess and we can throw a couple bucks here or we can, like, you know, post something on social media and, like, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, yeah, right. Awesome. Right? That's really, really positive. But if that's just where it ends, man, we're missing out. But also, when you give that way, when you give your life to speaking to power, you give your life for the other, you give, do the work that the rabbi did of going and doing interfaith, interreligious work. Why? Because I want to give love to them, and that's how we experience love back. It is exhausting. There's been multiple times. Well, I'll just, I'll share one. There was a, a, a period, I don't know, two, three years ago, um, where the word Christian, right, felt very messy to me, very complicated to me. Not because of Christ, right, <laughs> big fan of Christ, but the word Christian, people would, would say, and then they would, they would say, well, you know, these Christians did blah, 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 blah. And I heard it so many times, I'm like, I don't know if I want to be associated with that word. I don't want people, to, when I say I'm a Christian, and they're like, oh, yeah, you stormed the Capitol, right? Like, no, it wasn't, I was here, right? So, um, and I was processing with some people, and um, Dylan was one of them. And Dylan, you're watching, big fan of you. I've brought this up to Dylan multiple times, how thankful I, wa I was. Because Dylan said, hey, I hear you, Chris, that's really good. Um, I still identify with Christian, and they have their own complicated past. But I still identify as Christian because uh, I think it's um, a privilege that I have um, to be able to just like, say I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Because there's been... There's been thousands of people who have given their life's work just to be at that table. There's been generations and generations of queer people that have been excluded from that table of Christianity. There's been people of color. There has been the, the, the story, right, of um, uh, in the, um, what do you call it, the Middle Ages, right, of, of women coming in love with, with what it means to be with Christ and be with God and want to be a priest or want to be involved. And what does the church do? Say, you can't do that. You should have tried harder at being a man. It's amazing. Why didn't you choose that? And so what did they do? They went into the woods. And what did they do in the woods? They celebrate God. They celebrate God in their own country or in their, their own culture and their own voice. And what does the church do? Call them a witch. There has been people who have been fighting and dying to be at this table. with this, And they've always been with this good and beautiful God. But some people have said, you don't belong. And so, like, they preached, and they got done, and I'm like, I am a Christian. <laughs> and it, it exposed, my, it exposed my, um, my privilege. I, as a white man, can walk in any place and be believed, any place and be heard, and be like, oh, tell me more. Oh, that's really great. It's like a jacket I can take off, and they're like, I don't like this anymore, and I can hang it up while there's multiple, multiple, multiple other intersections. They don't have that option, Right? To give like this, to be doing the work of Christ like that, is exhausting, and it's tempting to take a break. Now, this is not me saying burn out. This is not me saying sell your house, give up all the money, right? Like be a, a floor mat. I'm not. I'm saying use wisdom, but it's still going to cost you a lot to live like this. It really is exhausting, and it is alone. There's times where it's really, really lonely, but it's worth it. So here's my dream for neighborhood. I wasn't planning on talking about this. My dream for neighborhood 
is that Sunday is a beautiful, and those who are watching, right? Thank you for watching. There's something inspiring about being around people, right? I need this. I have to be able, I love being able to see Nita run back and forth making coffee because I know what she's doing is making sure that, that no one has to think or be concerned that there won't be coffee because coffee, holding your hand in your cup, makes you feel like you're a little bit less um, exposed. Right? True, isn't it? Like if you're walking around and you have something between us, it's like now I'm not as vulnerable. It makes me feel a little bit more safe. It makes me feel a little bit more, I can distract myself by drinking it. Right? That's one of the reasons we have coffee. It makes you feel comfortable. I want neighborhood to be a place <clears throat> I deeply believe in this place. I deeply believe in the church. I deeply believe in, in the work of Christianity. All right? And I deeply believe in neighborhood church. Because as you go out and do your work, as you go out and you do your anti-racism work, as you go out and do your inclusive work, as you go out and, and make this world a beautiful place and it's exhausting, what if there's a place that we can come back together and we can just... <sighs> what if there's a place that we can be inspired through um, Yuli, right? Love that kid. What if there's a place we could hear some beautiful music, even just for a moment, and get caught up? Like, I close my eyes, and yeah, I had a moment. Like, what if there's a place of where we could pray for one another? What if there's a place of even online that we can remind each other that what we do matters, regardless of what it is? If you're doing it in this, this benevolent, generous way, it's changing the world. And I believe this is what love not just does, this is what I believe love demands. In neighborhood, we can do hard things. We can be a community, we can be a people that is willing to move in the way of Christ and be generous. So why don't we stand, if you're able, and I'm going to pray for us. And if, if there's any way that um, me or um, our team can be of value to you, if that's, you want the process, you want to pray, you would like to um, ask some questions, uh, we are available for that anytime, because we're in your corner. So, before I pray, for those who are, are exhausted, those who are tired, for those who feel like they just want to hit the pause button, like permanently, <laughs> maybe you like, I I'm not a snooze button person, right, I'm not, uh, but maybe you're like a snoozer, and you feel like you've just been hitting the snooze, uh, like, enough, and you're ready to re-engage, but you're aware of what's going to cost you. This prayer is for you. So, God, we love you. And I thank you for the deep rest that we can find in you. And I thank you that you are a God who is generous. That you're a God who gives. Like when Jesus says, even the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Even the sun shines on all people. So I pray for my friends here, my friends who are listening and watching online, who feel like the, the, the rain doesn't fall on me. The sun doesn't fall on people like me. If only I could do, be, stop doing, then maybe I could be included in that. We say right now that we are enough. And that what we have to offer the world is something good and beautiful. That who we are and how we show up matters. And the work that we do 
can bring life and love and inclusion. So I pray for my friends who are exhausted. I pray for my friends who are tired. I also pray for my friends who are intimidated. They know by speaking out. They know by showing up. They know by having or sending that email what it's going to cost them. And God, I pray you'd help us do it anyways. So Holy Spirit, be with us. Holy Spirit, we are aware you're always with us. Help us awaken to the power and the life that you bring. And thank you for this church. Thank you for this community. And may we go in peace. Amen. Thank you for coming to Neighborhood. Thank you, friends, and online. Thank you for joining us as well. Have a good weekend.